It's Thursday oh. night for a hi. Uh, it's Thursday night for a brand new special edition of Graphic Policy Radio. Uh, we did not have a show this Monday, so we are live this Thursday uh, to catch up and have a long overview conversation about New York Comic Con. Graphic Policy is the show that mixes comics and politics. And for folks who know Benghazi isn't just a C-rate comic villain. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know if that would be a funny one or not. But it is a D-rate <laughs> bullshit scandal. It is. It completely womp, is. Womp. Yeah. Uh, joining me, as always, is my awesome co-host, Alana. How you doing? I'm great. I managed to not get sick at Comic-Con. So. Uh, seem to be the only one because uh, I know. it's been like two weeks and I'm still sick. Uh, one of the folks who was there snapping photos for us uh, was actually pretty sick. And I know a few other folks that also are uh, still coughing and hacking and wheezing. So I guess this is what happens when you put 167,000 people in a uh, small location all together and don't actually hmm. have people, you know, wash their hands properly and sanitize and everything. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's been fun. Um, so how you been doing? What, what's new with you? Well, you know, there was so much stuff I wanted to do coming out of Comic-Con. You know, we got to speak with and, inter- and interview a lot of different comic creators, connect with a lot of other comics writers and geeks and, um, it's always kind of overwhelming coming out of it. There's so many people you want to come and follow up with, and I can definitely tell our listeners we've got a lot of really cool guests lined up for you in the near future. Yes, yeah, uh, we've got a lot to do. I know I have got probably got a half dozen uh, interviews that I need to uh, to actually uh, listen to and get up typed up. We've got our first one up today. That was done by one of our other contributors to the site. So that was with one of a book author. But we've got a hell of a lot, some pretty cool interviews too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots to do. That's always the fun thing with cons is there's always that post post show chaos where you're uh, kind of running around and being like, okay, what do I need to do? I, yeah, and that's where I'm at. Didn't help that I also yeah, had a mostly- rather busy week after yeah. that I don't think I'm allowed to talk yeah. about yet. <laughs> no, I, I no, exactly. Know. Uh, uh, going between work and Comic-Con, it's been super intense. I wrote to say that I got to spend my Saturday on Comic-Con with people, with superheroes, and then I had to spend the sun the uh, Sunday afterwards, uh, like the Sunday like that was the last day of Comic-Con that I actually couldn't go to with our members of Make Hero New York who are also superheroes. Because we were doing a big action against police brutality in Staten Island, which is not the easiest place to uh, do that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah um, you know, kind of wanted to ask you about that. So you, uh, so for those who don't really know, both Alana and I have day jobs and don't do this full time, and that day job involves working in politics. So what was what was the thing that you were doing that Sunday, which is a hell of a lot more important than going to New York Comic Con? Uh, uh so we. Um, have an annual meeting for uh, all of our members who are immigrants from all over New York and New, and New Jersey and Garner, who um, was a New Yorker who was killed by the police. 
uh, and we had so we had our annual membership meeting in Staten Island, and then we held a vigil where he was where he died, where he was killed by the cops, and we had a number of speakers from his family and um, things along those lines. Really powerful, um, really powerful stuff. And uh, the cops were hard to work with, but we were eventually able to do the vigil as planned. That's good. Um, and not too shocking that they were hard to work with. Unfortunate, but surprising. <laughs> not too surprising. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, um, you know, I'm always looking for more opportunities to try to connect some of the work with what we're doing, too, but I haven't quite figured out a good mashup on this yet. That said, um, you know, I think we got to have number of sort of more political conversations within the New York Comic Con space than we've had before. Like I remember the years back when you like you would basically go and there'd be like one panel about women and one panel about brown people and one panel that was like the LGBTQ panel. And like that was it, right? Mm-hmm. And these times there's just so much more diversity and so many more conversations. Um, you know, I, I really make it a point to try to get to as many panels along those lines as possible, but um, it's, you know, you can only get to so many, which is a great sign, like that there's become such a, a multitude of, um, of, of, of diverse panels. And, you know, we had submitted a couple which weren't picked, but I was pretty impressed with the stuff that I saw while I was there. Um, you know what I missed this year was that they didn't have is they didn't have the Mary Sue like lounge. Yeah, that's something that we had had before. I don't. Well, it's not something I've actually partook in, so it's not something I would notice. I did notice, and I don't remember if they've had this in years past. They had a lounge for folks who were like overwhelmed from the large crowds and the noises, and I've noticed this has become more and more common at uh, these particular cons. I don't know if they're like normal at other conferences and conventions, but uh, in gaming and comics, it seems to be a kind of a more common thing. Um, hmm. Do you remember that from Which like... Interesting, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like the most extroverted person I know, uh, and even I can feel like I need to just take a minute, you know, yeah. and get some air. So... If I feel that way, I can't imagine what the army of introverts that is so many of the comics people would be feeling like at a con. So, yeah, I mean, it's oh, uh, yeah, it's it's been something I've noticed. I forgot which the the other con um, I saw it at. There's been a couple of them that have had it, but it's you know it's for people who um, the just the large crowds and the massive. Um, Bombardment, bombardment of audio and uh, input and sensory input is just too much. And hell, I'll say it's too much because I like I I know by the final day I'm kind of just like oh my god I I need quiet. This is just way too much. Um, it's it's pretty impressive. So it's it's interesting. I think that conventions are really uh, thinking about that now. It's not something that I don't think anyone's necessarily pushing for. Like there's no movement well, I- that I know of. Huh. I, you know, I thought maybe it had to do actually with some of the autism sensitivity that, that like people really have now, being more aware of of the needs yeah. of people with autism. Um, and that's what I think it, it is. But it's one of those things like 
usually you see those things, it's because like someone's like really pushed for it and has made this a big deal and and you know asked for it or you know um, I'm trying to like a great thing is uh, at PAX they've got a lounge where um, it's like a safety lounge where you know if you feel harassed or whatever you can go and it's supposed to be like a safe place but that's something that like was really pushed for um, and a group yeah, like yeah. had to go out and get it like I can't think of any group that's been like we need a lounge for people with autism like it's it's great like I'm not knocking it at all like it's actually awesome to see and and if shows and conventions are really doing that kind of just on their own, like, bravo, because that's, I think, uh, um, it's it's just really fantastic to see them do that. It's not something that I don't think I've, I remember three or four years ago, but, it, like, I've seen it multiple conventions this year, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. And it wasn't like I felt like I needed a the Mary Sue space because, like, it was a hostile space to women. It was really not the case at all. It felt very fine to be there and be female, but just sort of, like, it was kind of a neat networking place. There was a women's, like a women's um, uh, networking activity, which I think would have been pretty cool, actually. You're set at tables and we're supposed to introduce ourselves. Very unstructured, but um, it, it was a cool thing to do. Uh, I think that, like the women, it was basically like a women's caucus in some ways, but it wasn't really structured. I, I want, and I, I thought that, I think there was an LGBTQ one as well, but it conflicted with the panel that I wanted to go to. But that's an interesting way to get people together in the same place as each other, which to sort of do a caucus format. And you probably know that, uh, or maybe you don't know, I, you know, I run a lot of caucus stuff at things related to what I do for my job job. So it's definitely a kind of meeting that I think is valuable. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we have a very different beat on the convention floor you and i um i yes. i was wanted to make sure we weren't going to be on the same things and it looks like that wasn't even going to slightly be the case um do you want to talk a little bit about how your approach to cons goes yeah it's it's kind of funny um and i almost feel like this is like just this unique approach that it seems like no one does for some reason um judging by like the uh, coverage from other sites. Uh, mine is, I don't go to a lot of panels. Uh, it's very rare to find me at a panel. I tend to go for the whole networking aspect of it. Um, my big thing at cons is first, like, my goal is to walk the floor within the first or second day, so I just know pretty much everything that's on the floor and who I want to talk to that I might have not set up beforehand. Uh, and then my other big thing is to go to Artist Alley and make sure to, like, hit that uh-huh. at least at least two or three times to see who's there and, and talk to folks and, and really put faces the names and introduce myself. Like, to me, that's it's a huge thing. Um, mm-hmm. it's I just, just want to something... echo that real quick. Like, I really made a point a few times to tweet about how if you're going to Comic-Con and you don't go to Artist Alley, then you're doing it wrong. Like, yep. the heart of Comic-Con is Artist Alley. And if your experience of Comic-Con is just going to go to, like, movie premieres and screenings, like, you're not actually supporting comics creators that way if you're not going to Comic Alley, if you're not going to Artist Alley and, like, spending your money. And if you have no money to spend, like, reaching out to people and talking with them and figuring out how you could promote work that you like. Like, that's really the unique experience that you don't get from anything else other than through Comic-Con is the opportunity to like buy art directly from artists and talk with them and to commission work from them and to, you know, get things signed and just talking with folks. Yeah. I, I, the other big thing is, is usually, I mean, you'll find books that um, either aren't out yet from uh, publishers or creators that um, 
like haven't broken big. I mean, I, I kind of the example I always uh-huh. use is Baltimore Comic Con like seven years ago. It was probably the first con I went for the site is I met this like unknown writer who was pitching this new comic and he's like, hey, you know, you want to check out the the pitch I got? And I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. And I kind of like looked at his other stuff. I'm like, this guy's going to be huge. And that's Charles Soule who now writes like <laughs> God knows how many books for Marvel. Like uh, yeah. you really meet the future of comics at it and uh, you usually can tell who's going to break big and who's not. There's only been a couple of times where I'm like, I'm, I'm baffled why this person hasn't broken big. Um, hmm. But you, know, you usually like people stand out. Like you can tell who's go- who's going to make it and who's not um, pretty easily in, in our alley. Um, and it's just really because cool they're good that. at promoting with people because they're good at promoting themselves and their ideas are interesting. Yeah. Or like what's the like that For combination me, sort of? Yeah, I mean part of it is like you can. It's great in our alley because I love seeing who's kind of got that drive, like, you know, uh, like, Charles is the perfect example, like, I was I was told a friend, of like, hey, you should just go check out his stuff, you might like it, um, and I met him, and he was really outgoing, and he kind of pulled me in and talked for a while, and, like, this, you know, the site was nothing at that time, so he had no reason to do it, and you could tell, like, just from the personality and from the way he talked and his, like, ideas and all that, like, okay, this guy's got tons of ideas and tons of personality and drive, um, he's gonna be huge. Like you, you just knew it. That type of thing. Um, Comics Tribe is another one. Like uh, you know, they a nice publisher that's kind of done really well for themselves and created a nice niche. Um, like I met them in Artist Alley, probably I think at Baltimore Comic Con again, because that was like the one I was my go-to at the time. Um, they uh-huh. were another where you met, like, met that personality and you can talk to them and you kind of knew and it's like, all right, this person's gonna go really far. Um, cause they can, they've got that drive and they've got that pitch down. Um, so you, like it's, to me, it's just fascinating to see all, like all that and who grows and who doesn't like if you walk, I think artist alley is fascinating because, you know, you know, I hate to say it is like the majority of people just kind of sit at their tables and just don't talk or drive you in or like try to reach out or anything. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's amazing how many people do that. And then there's some who are like carnival barkers who are like, Hey, come over here. Um, and you know, maybe their stuff's not always great, but it's, it's just, it's amazing to me. It's night or day. Like there's very few that are like in between the two. Yeah. <clears throat> well, my, I wanted to share quickly my experience on discovering folks at artist family was a number of yeah. years ago. I was just looking at people's art and I saw an artist whose stuff I liked a lot. Um, and I saw that she had a, uh, a Dr. Who, and I'm not a Dr. Who person, but I wanted to commission some art for friends of ours who were getting married and who were big Doctor Who fans. So because she did a good Doctor Who piece, I said, you know what, I'd like to commission you to do this Doctor Who commission for my friend's wedding, and I had her do it, and it came out amazing. And that artist turned out to be Erica Henderson. Um, <laughs> so obviously I have good taste. Um, you know, and at that point in time, I didn't heard of her, and, you know, it was sort of hard to find her stuff at all, but... Um, you know, she really exploded, and I think people seeing how great her work was at cons probably contributed towards people being aware of, you know, of her skills and talent. And, you know, now she's really, like, one of the most interesting, fun artists around working on, you know, two really really popular books, Squirrel Girl and Jughead. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of amazing. Like, I, I really feel like so many people that don't go to Artist Alley are just missing out on the, the con experience. Um, yeah, and a know, lot of people sell their stuff super cheap. Like, oh, yeah. I, I bought Colleen Duran actual pages of art from Power Pack 
for very, very little money. I, I like she should charge more. I told her so. I mean, if, if if a page doesn't have a particular superhero on it, often they go for a lot less other than they would if they had specific characters on them. But like mm-hmm. people's stuff is really affordable. People's like people's rates for commissions art can be are like very affordable. Um, you know, if you have like weddings for any geeky friends coming up, and guys, it doesn't have to be a comic book friend. Like if you have a friend who likes any particular pop culture TV show sort of thing, even if they're not a comics fan. Like, if your friend's into X-Files, get an X-Files commission from an awesome comic book artist. Get it framed. I assure you, nobody else is getting them the same wedding gift, and and they will hang it up. You know what I mean? People really appreciate that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, and Artist Alley, like, I, you can just go and really talk to anybody. I, I, I'd met um, Peter David, actually, at, uh, at Artist Alley before, and this time I just really felt compelled to just sort of tell him, like, you know, I like how how much I loved his book growing up, and I, how much I still do, and that like his you know his like invention and like really characterization of Pietro Maximoff was like my favorite, and like how much I loved and like identify with that character. Like he's this is somebody who's been writing X Factor since I was in junior high, right? <laughs> um, and there was no like crazy line to go and talk with him. We just we just talked, you know. Um, and it's I amazing. Had an amazing act. Yeah. I talked about to Speed McNeil for a long time, too. She's really fascinating. Um, she's doing the art, you know, for No Mercy, and she has her own stuff as well. But yep. she was great conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's always fascinating to see who has massive lines and who doesn't. I mean, the ones that I kind of expected uh, did. Like, Rob Liefeld always has a long line and, you know, uh, really? like her. Yeah, like or dislike his art, I, I will give the guy credit. Um, he loves the crowd. He's great with them. He spends the time to talk to people. Like You can tell he loves comics and loves the fans. Um, so I, I give him full credit on that one. I will never knock him um, for that. Like He really is a genuine cool. person. Um, yeah, I, and respect, all, I respect that. I respect that yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I'm like, I'll, I'll make fun of the pouches and the no feet, but like for that, like I, <laughs> I will stand up and applaud him every time. The guy's pure energy and and really, really appreciates it, which is really cool. Um, and he had a constant line uh, walking by him. Um, uh, Babs Tar, not too shocking on that one. Oh, God, <laughs> she is mobbed. When I actually yeah. was trying to post a post a picture just to be like saying, like, I know what fans like, it was like, I know what fans like, fans like Babs Tar. Like, she has, and I remember when she first started, like, people, she, I mean, she's always been popular, but her just, she just exploded. Um, yep. it really, really exploded in terms of popularity. Like, I don't even know if you can get a commission from her at a con. She's so booked up. I mean, lots of really great people get really, you know, completely booked up. But you can buy from her, and her line was just crazy. Constantly um, crazy. She was also on a lot of. She was also on a lot of good panels too. So. Yeah, uh, Brendan Fletcher and Annie Wu were there for a little bit. Um, yeah. And they, they of course, had a line. Not too shocking. Uh, the Wicked and Divine team. Um, oh, their uh, line is crazy. Yeah. I, I've known, yeah, I mean, I've known Karen, it used to be that I would go and talk to Karen at cons, and then it was, oh, he's mobbed by people, he and I will make eye contact and salute each other at a distance, and then this time, it was like, I'm not even going to try, but God bless him, he's awesome, because after one of the panels that we went to, which was about using Tumblr to promote your work, which was a very interesting panel, um, after that, he, like, ran up to me and was like, I want to come back on the show, let's talk, and of course, I'm like, yes, 
Oh, uh, yes. To how people, <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. We're like, anytime. We will skip. We will, like, do this on our lunch break. I know you're in England, yeah. like, whatever. You, you um, tell so, us you when know, you want to come on, duh. Yeah, exactly. You tell me when to come on, and we'll do it. But apparently, like, I'm, like, so emo over everything in phonogram. I mean, everybody also loves wig, too, but I'm just, like, <laughs> was ridiculously emo over everything that happens in phonogram and incapable of not talking about it for even a minute. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, like, I, you know, but there are, but people are really enthusiastic, like, uh, there's, oh, there's so many good people. Okay. I know that that's not a particularly interesting observation to make, but. <laughs> There really are so many good people out there. Yeah. There's very few people who are like, who are like dicks, you know? Yeah. There's very few. I mean, that's the thing that's great is there's very few people that you'll, uh, creators that you'll meet in our Sally. They're, they're assholes. Like they're, most of them are fantastic. Yeah. Um, and like what I have to remind myself is like, if there's ever anything weird, it's that these are introverts and they're like being bombarded yeah. by like an army of like other people with various levels of social skills, you know? Um, but yeah, like uh, people are so happy to interact with you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, the one I thought was interesting, I think it was Chris, Chris Claremont was on the floor, which tells you of like how all over the place the creators are. And he, he usually had wow. a, a decent line, uh, forming hit for him. I mean, there's like people who've been creating comics for as long as he has. And there's been others who have like been there only a couple of years. Like that's, really the kind of the spread of creators on the floor. Um, he had a decent, you know, decent line. I mean, not maybe some others who are maybe some newer, hotter creators were much, much longer. But, you know, he, I mean, the guy's a legend at this point. So um, not too shocking the crowd that he kind of, he uh, attracted. Um, and he was another one that seemed to like really appreciate it. Um and would just chat with people. It, uh, to me, it's always fascinating to watch that of like who chats with who and how long they talk and how you because know, there's so many like I have ingrained of going to um, sports collectible shows when I was like a kid, and it was always uh-huh. those like, really crappy ones at like VFW halls, and they would have like one super like one sports star, and it literally was just like okay, I'm gonna sign the thing, pose for a picture. I'm gonna sign for a thing. I'm gonna pose for the picture, and you kind of see that in the celebrities that come to conventions. And then you have, like, these comic creators, and they're just, you know, hey, I'm going to talk to you for, for quite a while and have long conversations and talk to you while I'm signing things. And, you know, I can do multiple things. Like, it's really kind of cool. And just to see such a uh, difference between that and this is, I mean, it's just, it's awesome. Like, I I I'm, know I sound like a fanboy, which I am. Uh, it's just really mm-hmm. cool to see. It's fun. I enjoy it. Uh, who was the the cool people that you or what was actually go to the the the, uh, the panel? So what what panels did you attend? Like which ones really stuck out to you uh, that so you enjoyed? My approach is I go to panels and I tweet the fuck out of them. Yeah, um, you do. <laughs> it's like me and then like Heidi from uh, Comics Beat. We're like the most like tweeters of panels um, in the world of people who tweet panels ishness. Try to go at anything that involves diversity. There was one moment, though, where there really wasn't any interest. And so I just decided, oh, you know what? Here's the big Valiant panel where Valiant's just going to announce everything it has. Valiant at all. Has no feelings like for or against them one way or the other. I'm like, let's see what it has to say to someone like me. And, um, you know, I, I actually even pitched it when I was talking to a guy in line. I was like, yes. 
a valiant. I'm just going to go to the valiant people and see what's what. Um, so coming out of it, I took away a couple of things. One is, no, three. Three things. Uh, uh, uh. One, the fan base of people who really are excited about their particular characters and, and that are recognize a number of Brazil comics like my whole life. Point two, they have hired a lot of really talented artists. Mm-hmm. There were a few people looking at their work on books where I was like, I don't know that character. Is. It doesn't even look like it's a genre I care about. This artist is talented. Um, I took, I have a couple of pictures like on the, I'm, you know, that I posted on, on, on Twitter and Instagram where I was like, this is a really good freaking penciler. And then the third thing is, oh my gosh, they have a new superhero character coming out with her own series called Faith. And mm-hmm. she is a large, large plus size lady and she is a superhero, and she has physical superpowers, it seems like, but she can fly and stuff. And she's also a comics geek, and her clothes look, like, realistic and great, and she's drawn in a flattering way, but she's absolutely not minimized for her size. Like, they're not trying to, like, make her look skinny or anything. They're just drawing her, like, in a flattering way. And I'm just so fucking on board for that. You know, I've never... I I read um, Alice Cott's Dropbox issues that he did... Uh, Deep Drop, I think you're thinking of. For him coming out. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Say the name one more time. Uh, Deep Drop, I think it was. Yes, yes. I read those in preparation for him coming on the show. Um, and I don't know I'm talking about, but they were interesting, even though I knew nothing what was going on. They were also political. I could still get into it. But, like, I totally am all on board for this comic. And I, I posted a picture of the character, and I tagged a couple of the plus-size fashion folks on um on Instagram and was like, you guys are on board for this, right? And yes. So I think that, you know, Valiant is smart. Like, n- not just comics fandom, but, like, the general sort of, like, social media and engaged mm-hmm. public is going to be very happy about having a comic like this. To have, like, you know, I bet you that there'll be people who will be reading this comic who don't read comics. Like, so long as they're given the opportunity to know about it. And if I was valiant, I'd be going around like plus size fashion bloggers. Like I don't even read fashion blogs, but like because I'm a feminist online, I'm aware of these sites. Um, like they will, they will. If the book is, they will completely get behind something like this and help promote it. Um, that's not something I even thought about. That's a really good idea. And Marguerite Savage is the artist. I'm forgetting her name right now, but she's a woman too. Like it's. Great, great idea. Yeah, um, I mean the do it. the uh, <clears throat> the the Valley guys are are really really smart on that stuff. Um, I will give them full credit that it's a company that realizes that they are you know they're they're not going to be Marvel or DC huge right now. Like they need to build an audience and get their name out there. So they are doing it smart like they keep their line really really short, uh tight and and um they're not doing excessive stuff just to do it um how many people how many books do you think they put out basically uh i think at most 10 a month mm. and it's not and usually it's not even 10 like right now it's maybe 10 a month um it's so it's not a huge line. You can read stuff. That is and, small, yeah. Yeah, you can read one and not, um, you know, and not have to uh, worry about reading the rest if you if you don't want. 
Um, they regularly put out their trade paperbacks at good timing. So, you know, hey, this arc just finished. The next arc's going to begin. We're going to have a trade paperback of that previous arc out within, you know, a few, you know, a month or two of it wrapping up so you can quickly hop on. Um, just really just intelligent like that. They're, they're very smart, and they're willing to try new things. Like, they had a, uh, a promotion with a... Uh, coffee shop in New York where it was like you bought a copy and I think you got a code for a digital copy of Exo Manowar or something like that. Um, which you don't see. Like you don't see publishers doing that sort of thing. And it's, it was cool for them to do it. And I think it, you know, it went decent. It wasn't, you know, gangbusters or anything like that. Um, but it was, uh, it was, uh, it was an interesting out of the box promotion, which, you know, I have to give them massive credit for. Um, they're willing to try new things, and, and the other thing is their line is, like, it's very superhero-centric, so you, you have to like that type of book, but it's good. Like, all of it's really, really solid. It's one of those, it's one of the few lines where I know I can pick up pretty much any series and know what I'm getting, both in quality of art and writing. There's very few issues where I've sat there and been like, at eh, this is crap. Um, it's at least good, and most of it's, like, really good, and it's just entertaining superhero fare. It, you know, it's not going to change the world, but it's entertaining stuff, like, it's superheroes punching stuff, like, if that's your thing, and great line say, to go to. I, well, I wouldn't necessarily say the new book Faith would change the world, but the book, yes. the new book Faith sounds really, really significant. Um, yep. You know, I mean, I've, like, we need, the world really needs, like, a uh, like about um, Etta Candy. I was actually talking, I was joking with um, Erica Henderson about that because she has a really cool candy sticker that she sells at her table, which I bought and is now on my laptop. Um, you know, she was Wonder Woman's sidekick and she was sort of a joke in some ways, but then she was pretty awesome. She was a you know, independent businesswoman and she got shit done. And she was like, you know, like a, like, a character who I think could be, they could really do a lot of cool things with. I mean, her name, Etta Candy, is obviously a stage name. So, whatever. I'm not, I don't want to get too sidetracked on this. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> don't want to go and do my Elon like entire Etta Candy story pitch, but whatever. Um, so, yeah, where were we? So, that was really cool. Like, I was glad I made it over to that panel. But generally speaking, um, you know, the, the panels about animated shows were like impossible to get into, more or less. What about Bravest Warriors? I would have had to go and wait in line um, for like a thousand years to have been able to get into that. Uh, so I didn't. But um, but like there were really good conversations around diversity and I restorify that sort of digests everything. Uh, and I would I would direct folks to check that out when when it's up, which should be very soon. Um, there was a question that someone at one of the diversity, again, remember, there was a lot of them, panels uh, said, was like, I have this comic historian, there's this and there's that, and there really, there really aren't any black characters, and I was wondering if I really needs to be, I'm sorry, she didn't say black, she said people of color characters. And just the way she had framed the whole thing, clear that everybody in the stage is like, no, you, there should be. Like, it, it doesn't make sense that there isn't. And I don't know. Uh, it was 
to get that conversation to start for a new for a, a young writer. They needed to go there, but they didn't understand that like they had to actually take it seriously in their own work. I guess um, there definitely are a lot of panels that are or aimed at folks who are like trying to get into the business. I think, uh, but there's also you know ones that are more like for fans who are just trying to understand things. Um, the Ms. Carmel Vixen always has this like massive Black Comics Month panel now with like so many people they don't all fit on the stage and um, they're always really interesting uh, people who are on. I mean, this time Scott Snyder was on it, and you know, people. She was sort of explaining that because she, he was somebody who was t- talking about like people with um, different emotional issues and mental health and things like that, and consider basically like she was basically like just considering that to be part of the conversation around diversity. Um, and I thought that was an interesting an interesting point. Um, he was very thoughtful on the panel, of course. But, uh, you know, totally nailing it all the time on every panel, of course, was Jeremy Whitley, who was awesome. Shannon, um, yeah, Shannon, oh, my God, I'm forgetting her last name, from Boom. She's an editor there. She edits, like, everything awesome. Her Twitter handle, Nato. Um, uh uh, blah, 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 blah. I know who you're talking about, and I'm, I'm, I will, I will dig and look. So, um, anyway, uh, she was on everything she was on. She'd always be on all panels. One of the points that she brought up on every panel, on which I actually commented, is that um, this graphic novel called Smile, which I guess is about a girl who has braces has sold more copies mm-hmm. than the entire comic book industry has sold comics in the direct market, like, all year. Yep. Like, that's how much this thing is sold. But nobody talks about it, and nobody considers it part of a comics because she's, like, you know, published by a mainstream publisher, because she's marketed through bookstores, because her audience... And just sort of showing how much of an oversight that is and how people talk and think about comics. Yep. Is um <clears throat> is interesting. Yeah, uh, that's a huge thing. I mean so uh it's Rainy Raina Tell I'm gonna butcher her last name. Tell Yeah. And she actually uh, moderated one of the panels there. She like she was interviewing comics people basically. Yeah, she was invited to the National uh book festival two years ago, I think it was. And the line mm-hmm. for uh, people to to sign uh, for her to sign Smile was was massive. Um, I mean, she is a huge draw for pretty much anywhere she goes to. Uh, I know she comes to like politics and prose a decent amount here in D.C. Uh, and like, there's always a draw for her, basically. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for for folks who don't know <clears throat> about comic sales, so one there's only one distributor for the most part, which is Diamond. Uh, most people, when they consider sales and how well things are selling, they go through Diamond. Unfortunately, Diamond doesn't sell to like Barnes and Nobles and Amazon and stuff like that. Um, there's other book uh, distribution companies that tend to handle that, and something like Smile isn't out through DC or Marvel. It's out through, I think, Random House or whatever Random, Random House's uh, comic imprint is. I think they do it. Mm-hmm. Um or maybe I think that's it, or maybe it's for a second, or well, whatever. It's one of the like the major book publishers do that, uh, so they all have like really good um, 
uh, comic divisions. It goes through that, and the amount they sell is obnoxious. Like we're talking millions of copies type of level of of stuff that isn't counted towards the sale. So when everyone says like, "Oh, Marvel's dominating," yeah, Marvel sells crap compared to some of these other books. Um, like Smile to say ran circles around everything. Uh, the year it came out is an understatement, and it probably is still outselling. And it still does, the, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's huge, and a lot of these books are like that. So, you know, anytime everyone's talking about how things are doing and how is DC doing in sales, like there's this huge chunk of the actual business that's not being counted, and I'm, we're not even talking digital that's not considered into stuff. Um, you know, DC does a good business of trades through uh, mass market retailers, not just you know through comic uh, direct market retail. So it's a it's a huge deal and a, like a, a big gap in that sort of reporting, which is why I don't tend to put a lot of weight into a lot of that stuff. So uh, it's a fascinating world when we really get into it. But uh, books like that do like huge, and it's, it's a really funny uh, side note is. Um, some of those publishers, uh, even though like most people won't know who they are, I mean, say first, second, or um, I'm trying to even think of uh, uh, Metropolitan Books. I think is one is one of the first, second, and City of Five, which I love. Yeah, love. yeah, but it, it's one of those that um, most. If you asked some publishers, they'll be like, "Oh, they're not a big publisher." But then if you ask like the indie shows, they'll be like, "No, they're owned by." Random House, they're not indie enough for us. And it's like, really? This is not indie for you? And they put out some of the best indie books out there, uh, what I would call indie books out there. Um, so it's like almost a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation for them. <laughs> oh, Sigh. did you take it over to Afro Future Fest stuff much? I did, yes. Um, that, I like, yeah. It was awesome. So... Um, there is so uh there was a group of African American creators that um um that kind of came together in a table for uh at New York Comic Con and they weren't in Artist Alley, they were actually on the uh the table itself or on the floor itself, the main floor, and it was called Afro Future Fest. And um so it was a, it was like an end cap. There was probably ten people total. Um, and one of the guys that was tweeting at us, has been te- tweeting at us a whole bunch, Chuck Collins, who does a comic called um, The Bounce, which is really, really funny, um, or just called Bounce. There's something else that is The Bounce, but this is Bounce, uh, was tweeting at us a whole bunch, and I was like, all right, I, I got to see what the hell this is and, and go over there. Um, and it was cool. It was actually it was a really, really good uh, time. Like, the folks that were there were, were super nice. There was, um, you know, books that you don't see too often, which is really cool. Um, I met a uh, a creator, um, Alex Simmons, who it's funny was like I knew his work and have read some of the stuff he did. This, he, mm-hmm. like this he was on a panel that I saw. He was amazing, and he said he'd come on the show. Continue. Sorry. Yeah, yeah it was well. It, so it was really funny as I kind of went up to him and I saw the comic and I kind of started talking to him and he was in this next to like this uh, African American museum uh, thing that was there. And I got there and uh-huh. so, but I started talking to him and he's just like, oh, I created this comic called Blackjack. And I was just like, I was like, oh yeah, I know this comic. I had no idea the dude was black. Um, I had no idea whatsoever. And I'm like, oh shit, yeah, I know, you know, your you know, your stuff. And we were just, you know, chatted really for, for a, a decent amount of time. 
Um, super um, nice. And yeah, I would love to have him on the show. I mean, he's a, he's a guy. He's a great conversationist. One yeah. of the things he was on the very first um, uh, diversity panel that I attended, which was run by um, a library association. This was very cool when they said they were. This was, panel was run by librarians. The whole audience cheered. And I was like, ah, oh, I love these people. <laughs> they cheer for librarians. But so Alex, this is interesting. So he used to write for Archie, and he is the person who the one African-American guy on Archie. Well, probably there's others now, but in the 70s, he was the one. And um, Alex invented his personality. Like, prior to Alex, Chuck was just, like, the black guy. And Alex was like, I think he should have interests. I think he wants to be a cartoonist. And, like, that was <laughs> because that's become, like, the character's thing. Um, so that's really significant and interesting. And, of course, you know, like, it took a black creator to be like, hi, him being black is not a personality trait. <laughs> um, like you gotta have something more than just that. Um, so yeah, that was really fascinating and very cool. You know, my the, my favorite thing I got from thus far that I've seen. Well, actually, it was at the end of Miss Carmel Vixen's diversity panel. Like they, there was always lots of like comics giveaways. Basically, I know um, Alex DeCampi donated a ton of books to it this time and last time. Um, that's actually how I ended the big framed poster now, well, I framed it, of her um, from Grindhouse, Agents of Booty, Lady Danger on my wall. Um, this time I ended up with an entire like hardbound second volume of Concrete Park, which if folks don't know, mm-hmm. is an excellent comic. And I had not read it till now. Um, I've actually, uh, it's a science fiction story by African-American creative team and it is excellent. It is just freaking excellent, and everybody should read it. And um, it's something I'd heard of, but I didn't really know what it was about. I didn't know it was like a sci-fi story, for example, really. And it hadn't received enough attention. It gets a foot kind of under the radar to me, even though I think it's Dark Horse. You know, it's a you know, reasonably big publisher. But um, having now have a free volume of it, which is the second one. I haven't read the first even. Oh, my God, is it good. Yep. So, yeah. yeah, so they were they were at the Afrofuturist table, the Concrete mm-hmm. Park folks, um, which that's a great series. Um, it, if I remember right, it didn't do well in physical sales, so they wound up making it digital, and then I think they collected it all for trade. Um, oh, okay. Says a lot. Yeah, um, I mean, I feel bad because a lot it's about actually, the direct market. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, so they were there, and then um, the first big person, uh, uh, other than. Um, Alex that I was talking to is Chuck Collins, who does uh, Bounce. I was talking to a whole bunch mm-hmm. at the table um, and basically bought up one of everything he's got and, and loved it, like read through uh, a good chunk of it, and it's it's some funny shit. He's the one that I was telling you, uh, I think it was maybe last sh- I think it was last show when we were doing the pre-New uh, York Comic Con where he was tweeting us the, his comics, and there was one about uh, a black guy who was really for... Um, uh, oh my god, I, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. Running for president, um, yeah, Ben Carson, and uh, uh-huh. and there was a thing where I'm like, oh, I really want to, and it's a whole thing where the guy's like, I love Ben Carson, blah blah blah, and the, and the bouncer slaps him, and the the guy turns uh-huh. white. And he's like, yeah, you've been, it's been revoked. You you can't be black anymore. Is basically the, the joke. <laughs> uh, and I'm sitting there. Yeah, I, yeah, I got yeah. when I first read it, I kind of was just like, oh, I really want to like share this around and and retweet this and all this stuff. And I'm just like, but can I do this? I'm white. I don't know how this is going to come off. And I joke with Chuck about mm. that. He had that pause, and he looked at me. He's like, "No, I, I, I get it. I totally get it." And I'm just like, "Okay." <laughs> um, really funny stuff. Like, I highly recommend. It. He's got a great web comic and bounce, which you can find at uh, bounce 
dot tumblr oh i mean actually i don't want to mess this one up because there's like three billion bounces out there um uh his is uh his twitter is bounce underscore comic and you can go to bouncethecomic.com and find his stuff it's it's really really funny i highly recommend it i constantly read it every time he tweets it and then uh and laughing at it so and it's it's really good and it's all about his life which is even better um so uh, it just makes it even more fun to kind of read it because as a bouncer, he's got some crazy stories. Uh, he said he would be on the show. He would be beyond entertaining. Um, and I'd love to have cool. him. So need to follow up. So that's one to uh, to get on here, another person. But yeah, the, the Afrofuturist thing was like hopping. That was a, 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 um, a table or end cap that was constantly had people um, showing up and, and talking. Um but uh, it was good. Like, it was really, really good. And uh, it was great to see. Like, to see that was fantastic. Um, to not just get some cool creators who don't necessarily get enough attention, but do it in a way that, like, not just up that, but up to the, the, the issue that, you know, minority creators are really kind of not given the limelight that they should in the industry. Um mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean between that and the panels, it was it was really the year of diversity at New York Comic Con. I think everyone seems to be to kind of agree on that one. Well, you know, I think also like you know, Geeks Out had a had a booth as well, of course, and um, you know, always very packed with people. But it didn't have any feels the After Future Fest like boosted. But yeah, just... however, the Geeks Out T-shirts were awesome. Um, Awesome. I don't. I, I don't know that. Like, so I kind of noticed this at Small Press Expo. I feel it a little bit at comic too. Is last year seemed to be very much the year of like the LGBT creator in comic. Um, this year, it kind of there wasn't as much as that. Um, where it just mm. seemed to be more of like the year of the African American creator. Uh, at least New York comic. Yeah. Uh, so I would. Did you use that? shift a little bit. Yeah. It's like GT is so kind of only stream at this point that it's like, all right, whatever. Um, I think that yeah, that that, that 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 does seem true. That does seem true. There was still like, you know, a goodly amount of LGBTQ stuff, but it definitely felt like there was more African American stuff whereas the oh, other yeah. there was more of a focus on the Yeah. That's interesting. You know, we shouldn't have to eat, we shouldn't have to choose. We should just have fewer white dude years, you know, obviously. <laughs> um, did you make it to any sort of stuff out? <laughs> yeah, cut off. Still there? Do you, oh, sorry. I was saying, did you make it to any of the sort of off-site events that happened this time? Uh, I went to I went to Comixology uh, party that was that Saturday. Um, it, yeah, that Saturday. Um, I got to go to the, the Walking Dead season six premiere that was at Madison Square Garden, which was awesome. Uh, it was really cool uh-huh. to take part in that. And um, I went to the Moonbeam truck. I guess that would count as off-site. Uh, yes, I did as well. <laughs> uh, right now there is a photo of me standing in front of a bullet-shaped penis, which is pretty awesome. And I wish I knew <clears throat> my placement better on that photo because I could have done some really inappropriate things. I'm kind of pissed on that one, but I didn't think of it, it wasn't uh-huh. quick enough. Um, 
and, and that was about it. The other thing I spent, it's funny, is like this is the first year I noticed, so I don't know if this has been done at previous years, is I was outside a whole lot more to take photos of the cosplayers. It's something that I've never figured out where the hell they take photos at New York Comic Con, and I finally found like the location, um, which is cool. But uh, it's one of those things like I – like it literally just finally came across it and uh, spent a whole bunch of time. They do it um, kind of outside in like this overhang area, which was a whole bunch of them was, and then this other area that just feels mm-hmm. like a gladiator pit. It's the only way I can describe it. I just feel like it's either a prison yard or a gladiator pit, and there's they're all over there just snapping photos with each other. It's something I've never noticed at the show before. I'm a geek and I dislike sunlight, so uh, I tend not to venture outside. But this was, you know, I saw it and it was actually really cool because it was something that I've always wondered where it happened at the convention. And now no. Yeah. I mean, they let you kind of go in and out. They let, they let you kind of come in and outside for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... What about you? I mean, did you go to venture in any, like, outside, off-the-site stuff? No, didn't. Um, I wanted to go to the Kirby Museums thing, but I just couldn't let myself to it. There is going to be a Kirby Museum pop-up in November, actually. That's awesome. I'm jealous. I really want to come to D.C. I'm, I'm a little irritated that they haven't been down there down here for a... Uh, um, uh, pop up thing. You know, it's a question of fu- it's a question for you know funding and stuff. So, tell me how much we'll make this happen. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm certainly they would be happy to say so. Um, yeah. So, uh, interesting panels, interesting conversations for sure. Um, definitely lining up future future guests. One piece of news, uh, you know, I actually got to go to the uh, press junkets for Adventure Time and for the Venture Brothers, which was really great um, to to be able to do, uh, putting together a lot of notes from that. Um, I actually have been warned that uh, that, um, the Venture Brothers team doesn't like to talk about the show, is what a number of people had warned me. So I was like, ah, I'll have interesting discussion questions that are not about your show. Um, what are you supposed to talk about in a press junket if you're not supposed to talk about the show? Well, you can. It's just that they're like, don't really particularly feel like talking about it. That's basically what I was told. Um, I mean, it's not like they need additional press. It's like fucking Venture sure. Brothers. It's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's so huge among the following. There's like nothing more that they have to do. But anyway, so I asked them, Calling back to something I'd heard them say at an earlier press conference that I had attended at Comic Con, um, they they had said that they they should have been the ones that they wanted to make the Doctor Strange movie, and they said this before the director of the Doctor Strange movie was selected. And of course, now that movie is like a whole thing that's underway, and there's actors. So I asked them, since you guys didn't get to make the Doctor Strange movie, like tell me how much more awesome it would have been if you guys were making it. Um, so that was that was that was an interesting and fun conversation. Um, I like that they are like the, the first thing that they went to right away was like how fucked up the whole like white guy goes to Tibet thing is. 
Um, it's just funny because like their show is not their show is not political with either a large or a small p, but the whole like white guy goes to Tibet and becomes excellent at everything and finds meaning thing is just so like ridiculously like he they were they were saying like how dated it feels to have that um that you know that that was like the first thing that they both went to about like how stupid this whole thing was um so that definitely cracked me up um they're actually okay with the casting in general though but well i think better benedict uh, cumberbatch is gonna be awesome as dr strange well, you know, a number of people were saying, like, that this was an opportunity for them to have a diverse lead. And, of course, it was, because basically everything they do is an opportunity for Marvel to have a diverse lead. And Marvel decided not to. Um, but they, they definitely were like, the whole thing goes to Tibet thing is bullshit. Um, they were saying what they wanted to do is they wanted it to go much darker. They wanted it to be like a Faustian tale. Um, and I thought that that was an interesting take. Exactly for for yeah. Marvel to do a horror film. They basically were like, you should go like full Crowley, not just like this lightweight namby pamby stuff. Um, but all, I mean, they, they but Jackson Public did say ideally Doc Hammer would have been, of course, Doctor Strange. But since that that's not the case, they're okay with Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> what else did you get an opportunity to do? Uh, as far as interviews or cool things on the on the floor. Well, I also got to speak to uh, the Adventure Time um, talent and writers, and I'm always more interested in talking with the writers than I am with the talent. But I learned something really interesting, which is, you know, I, lo- I knew Olivia Olson, who's the voice of Marceline, has done some writing um, for, like, the shows, like, books that come out about the show herself. Um and she actually wrote the parts of the new book, which is called the Encridini- the, uh, the Encridian, which is like a book that exists within the sh- which within the series has now also been printed for one to purchase at the store. And she writes the parts of it that are the journal of the character that she plays. And one of the things she talks a lot about in is the, the character Marceline. You know, she has her biological dad, who's essentially Satan. And then she has the thought, the man who essentially raised her, who is the Ice King, who is basically someone who has Alzheimer's at this point. Um, and her character is like struggling with like having these two like very difficult like father figures. And she was saying that like she just, she just like put this herself. She's like you know she was saying that because she was adopted, she was like really tapping into a lot of those questions she had about herself, you know, around having multiple dads. And I was like, wow, that's really heavy. Thank you for bringing it up because I didn't. I didn't know she was adopted. I wouldn't have even known to ask that question, you know. Um, and I thought that was the most interesting thing that I heard actually about mm. about the book that's coming out. The other really cool thing about the Accreditian, which they actually did not tell me when I was at the panel, but the panel was focused on the show, not on the book, is that Tony Millionaire, like the Alt Weekly artist, who is just crazy and amazing, who did Makey's and Uncle Tony, and his art was what they used for the Drinky Crow show. He did pages in this freaking Adventure Time book that is for children. That's, like, so subversive. And I actually saw some of the drawings. They're crazy dark and just so thoroughly in his wheelhouse. I um, I think I'm more excited about this than I have been with any of the other Adventure Time books, to be honest. I really want to see what she does with the diary. And I'm beyond that, I just really want to see the Tony Millionaire art because that's just crazy. Um, folks who aren't familiar with him, just go – 
Google Tony Millionaire right now and, and then come back to me and then think about what it means that this isn't a book that's intended for children. Uh, very, very happy. I also got to ask the creators a bit, you know, uh, I, I know this is all very alien to you because you're not um, an Avengers Time Watcher, but uh, people have been there's – there's a robot character who's incredibly popular called BMO, and BMO sometimes presents as female and sometimes presents as male, and people have been like, is this an example? Everybody just sort of, you know, takes BMO at BMO's word or whatever. It's sort of an ex- interesting example of, like, a gender-fluid character on a, ki- on a children's show. And, you know, we, I should have raised that, and they said that basically it's just important for viewers to just respect that BMO is whatever BMO says BMO is. Um, and, it, you know, as per usual, they're certainly not acting like this was an intentional thing that they did in creating the character. Like, it doesn't seem that they set out to be like, we're going to have this, like, gender-fluid character. But that it just sort of t- seemed to come from the story and that they were, like, just really fine with rolling with it. But they seem to be very aware of how the fandom reads it, you know. Um, but they hadn't heard anything particular from kids about it. Because I was really curious if there would be little kids who would really identify with that in some way, but they haven't particularly heard about that themselves. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of different, um, you know, songs coming up, and we've got some more details about the uh, new season. But all of that's online now, so you don't need me to tell you about that on the phone. I also, I'm sorry, on the podcast, I also asked why they chose the Cheers theme song to be the song that Simon, the Ice King, sings um, in the flashback where you sort of see him before he's completely lost his mind. And that they had decided that they wanted him to sing a song that would prove that the show took place in the real world. And that's why they chose a TV theme song. <laughs> that it proves that the show takes place in our actual real world, but in the future. Um, so now you know truth about adventure time is that yes it, it absolutely takes place in the real world right now in the future so. it's really funny that they go to the cheers theme for that makes sense it's actually a, a awesome and, choice I think. isn't it and that is actually the, the the only piece of like real world popular culture that like exists in a one-for-one in the show everything else like there's a movie that everybody in the cartoon loves is really obsessed with called Heat Signature. That's clearly a joke about the Hunt for Red October, but it's not the Hunt for Red October. Like this Cheers theme song is the only actual thing from the real world that is used in the show. So it's kind of interesting to see that. And it is, and it's so sad and broken the way it's used. Oh my God, it just makes you want to freaking cry. This is the children's cartoon that makes you want to freaking cry, but it's so good. Um, there were so many wonderful Adventure Time cosplayers and Steven Universe cosplayers doing some really deep cuts. I put up a number of pictures up on Instagram from those. Um, I think, like, this year be the year of just really outstanding Steven Universe cosplayers really outstanding Adventure Time cosplay, but really mostly Steven Universe. Um, I think that there were more Red Hoods than there have been in the past, but certainly not, like, a great deal of Red Hoods. But it's definitely a character that people are more interested in now because of that that video game, I guess. Um, I'm trying to think of other cosplay friends. I don't see so many people just as Homestuck. I never forget the first year the Homestuck thing was happening because you and I were like, why are all these kids have gray faces and candy corn on their head? Because the horns look like candy corn to me, so the color scheme on them. And I yeah, never heard I of Homestuck. And I still, I still don't know what it is. Yeah, I yep. still don't know what it is. But also, like, generally speaking, my rule is if somebody has an interesting costume, and I don't know what the fuck it is, it's probably from an anime, because animes are full yep. of really interesting visuals, and I have no idea what the fuck they are. 
Um, but it's, that was the one time where it wasn't from an anime. It was from like a webcomic. And it's just apparently huge among kids, and we had no idea. Um, yep. You know what I saw? Still a no lot idea of, what it is. Yeah, I still don't know what it is. I tried to look it up and I couldn't figure it out, but whatever. There were fewer people dressed in it this year than before. The best yes. cosplay I saw, though, that I was not able to document breaks my heart because there was like this whole churn of bodies. And I could not get my camera out in time. But there was a kid dressed as Shatterstar from like Rob Liefeld era, like with the face frame and the red hair and the ponytail, accompanied by his mom, who was Domino, and his dad, who was Cable. Awesome. Was that you guessing? I didn't see that one. That's awesome. Yeah, and I did get to take a picture of a guy dressed as Strife, who I think they had just been posing with moments earlier before we all got into the churn of the hubbub. But I did see that one that you posted, um, the Strife one, which looked really, really good. Uh, I think the coolest cosplay yeah, I Strife saw was um, the coolest one I saw was a guy dressed as Godzilla. And it was really oh, wow. impressive. Yeah, like, so the outfit itself looked like it was foam, and it had, like, that really kind of, like, the scale, like, Godzilla thing on Godzilla has a roll, fat rolls uh-huh. in a weird way. So there was that, and then the chest was up like he was about to breathe here, and the scales on the back were, uh, had, like, LED lights to make them all light up, look like they are about to shoot fire. So it was done really, really well. Um, how the hell the person walked around is beyond me. Kept on causing a log, like a huge jam, uh, which kind of sucked. But it was impressive. It was really, really impressive. I had, had some photos of it um, from the front and the side. And I posted the site so people could check it out. But um, that one was really impressive. Uh, the fascinating one was there was this the Hulkbuster uh, outfit that like a nine nine and a half foot tall outfit that some person wore and I didn't see it at the show unfortunately, but like that thing went mainstream like Fox and Friends had the Hulkbuster on the freaking show uh, because it, it was a so, costume. Oh yeah, it was amazing. Uh, but I've never seen like cosplay become like a mainstream thing that everyone was talking about. And when we talk about something going viral and the internet like really driving it. I mean, shit, it wound up on Fox and Friends. Those jackasses uh, had it on their show. So I think that says everything as to how kind of mainstream geekdom has gone. Hmm. Yeah, lots of press. Oh, did you notice any big... Do you think there was an increase or decrease in the sheer number of Deadpools? Uh, There seem to be less Deadpools than I've noticed at other conventions in other years. It's still an obnoxious yeah. amount of them, but there was at least less. Also, too many Harley Quinns. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a rule. We came up with a rule um, that, unfortunately, we've never been able to get enforced at any uh, convention, where if you came across someone in the same cosplay outfit, you had to fight to death, and the winner basically got the other <laughs> person's cosplay outfit as, like, a yeah, trophy. Yeah. Unfortunately, no convention, <laughs> no convention is willing to willing institute to that as a rule. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's because we everybody's did. dressed as Harley Quinn. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, we we did run know, into some quandaries of what do you do for like stormtroopers and do different versions of the same character count, but uh, we think it would one up the the entertainment factor greatly at uh, conventions. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, absolutely. 
And, of course, the number one person would be this um, uh, amazing woman who dressed as Angela, Asian of Asgard, um, cosplayer named Pepper, who was fucking outstanding and the only person who even began to attempt that costume because that's, you know, a really hard suit of armor to to, to build and, and move off. But, um, oh, um, one thing I also noticed was, like, I guess it used to be like a thing when somebody would like dress as like a male, like a male version of this character or a female version of this character. I never really like, there was just a lot of people dressed in sort of like gender era, like gender didn't matter version of whatever character, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't drag and it wasn't even like gender switched. It was just sort of like, like I am person of X gender and I am dressing as character of Y gender. And it's not like girl version of him or guy, just like whatever it is you are. And I saw that yep. I've seen that really increasing a, a great deal, which is cool. Um, I almost was going to go as like gender whatever Shatterstar for Halloween, but I'm actually going to go as Siren slash Banshee instead because I found yellow and black striped fabric. Which nice. I mean, if you're going to have yellow and black striped fabric, you clearly have to go dress as Banshee or Siren. So yeah, um, uh, so yeah, I mean the the. I don't even know if you can call it gender bending. Like, I don't know what the t- like if there's a term or what the term is. It's that like before there was very much like a I'm doing a drag version of this character. Like that's how it kind of felt like it started, and now it's just like I'm doing the male version of this female character or the female version of this male character. Um, to not even like you know even think about, like, I'm, I'm kind of giving it a twist or trying to keep it the, the gender the character's supposed to be. It's just, I'm doing my version of it. Um, yeah, exactly. Seems to, that seems to have, like, evolved over the last, I'd say, two years, for the most part. Like, whereas it used to be just, like, I am doing the, I mean, straight up, it was, like, the drag version, um, which I noticed a lot. Where that seems to, to still be a big thing is... I'd say, like, teenage girls who are still very, like, androgynous, and you can't quite tell that they're young teenage girls, like, not even, mm-hmm. maybe even preteens, uh, that they can pass as boys, or they tend to be somewhat boyish in their looks. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That seems to be still where that's a big thing. But uh, otherwise, like, I, I people just don't seem to give a shit anymore. It's like, if this is the character I like, I'm dressing as this character, which is awesome to see. Um it's really, I mean, it's amazing how like quickly that's kind of shifted over the over the years because that's only been the last two or three years that that's become like a big thing. Yeah, yeah. So that's a pretty interesting interesting trend. Yes, um, I think it's cool. Like, cause there are still people who still will do like, oh, I'm doing this like hyper like woman version of Batman, or like I'm doing, yep. you know, whatever. But this is just something else. So I don't know. It's very cool. Lots of kids. Oh my gosh, like so many young people. You go there and you're like, "Oh, young people are okay." I like I'm okay with all of these young people. These are my the cool young people who I can like I don't know, I want them to talk to me. I think next time I'm going to like <laughs> make a point to like go interview like teenagers and stuff. It's something I've wanted be, to do. Yeah, and just be like, "Hey, like what does all this mean to you?" Yeah. Um, it's something I've always wanted to do. It's funny, 
funny that you bring that up. I've, I've, I've gone to Otakon for like the last couple of years to check things out, and I've always wanted to go and just do a whole bunch of video uh, talking to people about their, their cosplay, and I don't know tons about cosplay. Like, I appreciate really well-done cosplay, um, but I feel like I'm the creepy old guy talking to, like, these teenage girls who are scantily clad. Yeah, uh, you should let me do that. I'm way less creepy. I mean, <laughs> sometimes I think I'm really creepy, but I just never come off that way. Right, I just don't. Like I just don't have it in me. It's, it, but it's one of those things. Like I know I'm, I wouldn't. And I would actually ask good questions, and I wouldn't be that. Yeah, but I totally. just Like going up to them, I feel like I'm a creeper to have these conversations. Oh, yeah. Like no matter how like well-meaning no, it is. Because like so many guys are awful. Like yeah. it's just always going to be a bit suspicion. Like, yep. sorry, dude. Other <laughs> dudes have ruined it. So you should have me go and do it. Yeah. We'll do it. There's there'll be some year we'll do that and we'll maybe get a little bit better. I think I just need like a little bit better practice with the equipment I currently have and we can we can rock that pretty easy. Um Yeah, I wanted to do more stuff. videotaping and stuff, but I failed. But um Um and got to see and meet up with some really cool folks who I hadn't met in person yet. Um Logan Dalton, of course, from Pantheon, who is great and got to hang out with and Casey from Geeks with Wives, and um, Jim Dandy, who's also a New Yorker. So some of my fellow blog folks. We should have a roundtable of people guesting on other people's shows. Yeah, I, I idea. will be guesting. I will. I will. I actually will. I will be guesting on Pantheon to talk about Catwoman soon, Woo-hoo. which is great because the last issue of Catwoman then just came out. Did you read it? Uh, I haven't yet. It's in my pile. It came out, what, last week, I think? Or two weeks ago? Yeah, it's fucking good. It is outstanding. Like, the whole series has been really good, but this issue was such a huge, amazing payoff of just, like, it's all worth it. It's all so fucking good. You yeah, know? it's it's been a crazy two weeks, so hopefully I, I not well, hopefully, I haven't been able to sit down and catch up. I've, like... Made through. I went read through all the Star Wars Marvel comics. I went through all the number ones of the all new, all different. Um, so I'm at least caught up there, and I've got a good chunk of DC uh, caught up on. So I, I should be able to finish that up this week. But yeah, yeah, getting a lot of comic stuff read. Like, yeah, I I I, I meant to give Stephanie Hans all my money, and I realized. I didn't buy her poster book because I actually realized I own all of the covers that she, like all the comics she's done. I like own them all already. And so I was like, wow, <laughs> I must really love your art. I'm going to have to pay you like a, to do like a commission commission because there's no point in buying a poster book of art that I already own in comics form. Um, and then she wasn't there the next day, but next time I'm going to give her all my money to make me a beautiful painting. Her art on the most recent nice. issue of Wicked Plus Divine was just stunning her art on 1602, 1602, I still say, was the best the best part of Secret Wars, um, although the art was actually also why it was the best, but um, just fucking gorgeous. She's such an amazing painter. Um, you know, J- J- you know uh, Jamie McKelvey is one of my favorite comic book artists, but I didn't miss having him in this last issue of Wickdiv because her paintings were so fucking gorgeous. Fair enough. Um... So we're at our hour. Uh, do you want to talk about the, the kind of blow up, or do you want to maybe save that for Monday and we can have like a much longer discussion on it? Wait, I'm sorry. Which blow up? Uh, the Fox News bullshit. Oh yeah, let's save that for Monday. There's a lot more to talk okay. about there. 
<laughs> but I would just tell everybody, go out and buy Captain America, Sam Wilson, colon, Captain America. It's a good comic. Yeah. And uh, then you'll get to join us in our discussion group on Monday. Yeah, so interesting enough, um, so I've, I kind of blew through and like caught up on it, pretty much everything other than what's come out this week so far. Uh, that one and then the other one is Amazing Spider-Man has like a whole bunch of political context in it uh, about using business to like benefit the world. But we'll talk about that on Monday as well. Uh, that uh-huh. like seems to have gone completely over everyone's head. They haven't noticed that it's also been very, uh, I won't say altruistic, but uh, very like business can do good for folks, which has been it's kind I'm of so interesting. I'm so fucking done with that. I'm so fucking done. That's such bullshit. Oh, you know what people should do, though? So apparently Rosie Press is still taking more pitches, and so people should go oh, pitch them yeah. for romance stories. Yes, and that was one of the cool things I got at, at New York Comic Con. So uh, here, uh, the Comicsology was doing um, like short prints of comics, uh, a lot of comics that either have never been in print or um, have only had a uh, uh, like a small, very indie print run. It was like usually to 500, and they do signing. So I was able to get the the Rosie Press um, um, first issue of, of Fresh Romance printed and signed, which I think is like the cool one of the cool items I got from there. Yeah, and yeah, also got okay. the condoms, right? You got the branded condoms. <laughs> yeah, so I got the condom, and I realized I'm having a really weird, bizarre collection of comic related condoms. Oh, there's other. There have been others. There have been others, and I was going through, and the one that sticks out, and I know I have other ones, which is weird. Uh, the other one that I picked up, so the other one that I stuck at sticks out, and it seems really fucking wrong considering what happens in the book. Is it's uh, one that was to pitch Watchmen the movie, and it was a blue condom. Oh my god! And oh one of those god. Really funny, but like you know, this, there's the infamous scene and like how rape parts of the story is. Uh, so having a condom just seems to be fucked up in that context. Uh, but really hilarious in the uh, in the whole. The point is to make you look like Doc Madden. Um, so yeah, that was, that's the other one that I, I have. But uh, yep, nope, we have the Rosie Press one absolutely. Yeah, they were really pretty. I got the one with the with the Kevin Wada characters on it because everything he draws is the most gorgeous thing ever. Nice. I think I only got one. I was so I made the crap. Of, like, since they're so pro women, shouldn't it be like ribbed for her pleasure? Shouldn't shouldn't oh, be a bit more. Oh God. <laughs> would you wait? Would you would you like my specific feedback on why that's not a good idea? Because I will go there. But um, no, no, I don't. I don't think that's a good thing. I think that's a that's a bad thing. It's a horrible idea. A, I'm a dude. I'm a dude. Yeah. Hold on. Environment. No, uh, I'm just gonna have to ixnay those particular condoms. Anyway, but yeah, I, I'm ex- I'm I'm entertained at the thought that there have been multiple comics giving awaying. Um, yeah, at comic cons, it's it's been fascinating. Um, it was awesome, like an awesome giveaway. I think that was it was really smart, and for them, it's great branding and intelligent, and I make a really out of the out of the box. Like it was awesome thinking. So. Um, Kudos to Rosie Press for that one. Yeah. So that was very cool of them. Um, but yeah, no, that was something I absolutely picked up because I, it was there and I thought it was hilarious and awesome and fun and different. And I seem to do that. Grab that stuff. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what else. I think it was Jeremy like the Holt big... says hi. Did 
Did I tell you Jeremy Holt? Oh, on? yeah, Jeremy. Yeah, I, I unfortunately was not able to connect with him. It was, he was always at something or I got something else. Still there, you fall off. Sounds like you kind of fell off on that one. Um, so, yeah, no, Jeremy is super talented and uh, a, a great creator. Um, and hopefully I will be able to connect with him relatively soon. But he's one that has been pitching tons of stuff. And I know his comics will uh, wind up uh, at some publishers. A super talented creator and a uh, person you should absolutely watch out for. Um, does some really cool stuff. Has uh, some books out for Action Lab and some various other publishers. Um, but yeah, so one of those like perfect example of a person you'd meet at Comic-Con that you probably, uh, would discover and say, holy shit, this guy's super talented and bring his stuff uh, elsewhere. But yeah, Jeremy is one on my list of things I need to, to connect with post Comic-Con. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't really seen a story in, in, um, the Rosie press, uh, fresh romance anthology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's been some interesting folks that are um, coming up in it or have been in it. Um, it's been fun. I've I've read every one. I've actually I really enjoyed it. Um, so it's not just comics for women. Guys can enjoy it too. But I also like you know romance and schmaltzy rom con. So shocker that I yeah enjoy it. I I. I put it into the category of things where I was like, I am so glad this exists, but I don't think it's for me. But um, based <laughs> on how cool the panel was, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that I feel that way yeah. about, like yeah. having fem, like having like female transformers. I'm like, I'm so glad that exists, but I'm not going to read it. Um, but like, I, I am going to actually read this now. I'm, I'm more intrigued than before, even though it's not really a genre I've had interest in, in any it kind would- of medium in the past. Yeah. It would, it's one <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, it's one that I would be fascinated for you to read and, and get your feedback on. So oh, maybe we can do we'll do that for a future episode. thing. Is just force each other to read stuff that we wouldn't normally read and like get each other's feedback. Uh, yeah, we should we, do that. That would be a good one. Yeah, and then pick one that neither of us would read and go from there. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I mean overall, like you know how how was your New York Comic Con? It was outstanding. I um, I just have to make sure that we don't have another major work event the same weekend next time. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was a great opportunity, and I'm really glad we were able to get press passes. I, I can't thank NYCC enough. I have to say, though, there's totally people who get press passes to that who are not freaking press. Um, uh, yes. I would also say to our listeners, if you're someone who listens to this show and you're really good with a camera, like if you wanted to be our photographer... We could see about uh, having you come in and help us. Yes, yes, yes. There's actually there is uh, um, one person who does help us, uh, Michelle, who had some photos up, and all she does is go to cons and snap photos. Um, that's kind of the deal we've got, and she does fantastic photos. Unfortunately, she's one of the people that fell ill at uh, the convention, so she was not able to take as many as she usually does. Um, oh no! So feel better? Yeah, it's one of those. I was just yeah, like, oh my god, going around. I'm like, I feel so bad that you kind of went for us and you got ill and she's been like really ill from it and I'm just like oh I feel really shitty um, what kind of sick do you think it is that for people that it's going on so long well for me it's it's respiratory like my issue constantly oh. is uh, whenever the weather changes and goes from 80 and immediately drops down to 60 like I'm guaranteed to get sick 
And unfortunately, like, that's when New York Comic Con takes place, is when the weather, like, hasn't decided what the hell mm-hmm. it wants to do. So, like, one day it's 40, and then the next it's 70, and at night it's 50, and I am guaranteed to fall ill and then add in, you know, 160,000 people, um, some of which who are ill and carrying God knows what. Like, I'm just, I'm guaranteed to get sick, so. Uh, I Yeah, I'm amazed I didn't really get sick. Um, I, yeah. Well, hopefully everybody's getting their shots in time. I did. That's the killer. I got my flu shot, and I still got sick. Oh, because it takes a while for it to come into action, yeah. Yeah. I claim bullshit on the flu thing, but whatever. <laughs> I always get sick when, I, when I take it. Wah, wah. No. Okay, I'll talk to you about this <laughs> after the show, but I'm, gonna, no, no, I'm no, not going to let you just... Yeah. Okay. I'm kidding, folks. I actually... I'm. It, I'm kidding. It's one of those, they, I always get it, and I still always get really ill, but it's never the flu. It's always something else. Go get your flu shot. It's a joke. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it seems like that's what's going on. Is just it's like the upper respiratory cold. I don't know what it is. I've been downing NyQuil for two weeks. It really sucks considering what I had to do last week, which I can't talk about. Yes, but we will soon. We will soon. Yes, as soon as I can. Oh my God! Because folks, I'm I'm not exaggerating. It's pretty huge. But yeah, when I can talk about it, we'll talk about it. So. Well, I guess that's it then for this week. Yeah, we'll we'll leave it with the tease. Uh, so we're going to be back Monday uh, for our normal, regularly scheduled show. Uh, and we'll definitely talk about at least the uh, brouhaha over Captain America, Sam Wilson, uh, number one, and uh, Fox and Friends not understanding comics. And uh-huh. yeah, yep, yep, yep. And uh, Daily Show just had a segment on that. So as soon as that is up online, if I can post it, you better will be posting it because it looked like they just kind of took Fox and Friends to task. So yeah. Um, so you can catch us Monday for a... Another episode of Graphic Policy Radio. As always, thanks for listening. You can catch us every single day at graphicpolicy.com. Of course, we're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy. We keep it nice and consistent. And for those who came in late or uh, want to listen on demand, you can catch us on uh, Blog Talk Radio, which will have the archive. We'll be on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes uh, over Woo-hoo. a few days. I did it for once. I actually got it down for once. Um, and Ilana is Ilana underscore Brooklyn on Twitter and Ilana Brooklyn on Tumblr. Yes. And follow Ilana and catch way wittier stuff than I usually post on ours or Aww. on my own. I don't really use much on my own anymore, so I probably will have to start. But yeah. Mm. So thanks for listening as always. I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. And you can keep it geeky.